Swing, little girl, swing high to the sky and don't ever look at the ground. If you're looking for rainbows, look up to the sky. Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast. Look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm absolutely fantastic, Darren. I'm dealing with all of life's challenges. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And uh, I'm creating further challenges. Because you don't want it to be too easy. No, I'm creating challenges both for myself and others. Um, These these challenges are legion, Darren. Um, They don't... Um, they don't uh, start or stop where I where I start uh, where 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 I begin or finish. Um, so how are you, Darren? I'm good. I'm getting by. I am uh, again kind of acclimatizing to this whole social isolation thing. I've got through most of my to do list, which means I'm actually working on stuff that I should be working on. I've been doing some research for a book that I'm writing. Um, I've been you know working. I've been walking as well, which is great. Which is something I'm going to be you know I'm going to have some recommendations at the end of the podcast, possibly involving walking, which I'm very proud of because it's like, hey, I have free time now. I can actually do things that yeah. I enjoy doing. It's amazing. If you want walking recommendations. Who better to get those recommendations from than from somebody who has just dis- uh, discovered, discovered what walking the art means? Form. Yeah, yeah um, I'm a novice at the art form. Um, yeah. you know, no advance. Which, I'm kind of a beginner. What's your favorite foot to walk on? Like, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, it depends on what mood I'm in. You can't really kind of tie yourself down. I think you know. No, no. Generally, there's no right choice, as it were. Yeah, I feel like you I don't want to be I, left behind. I use mostly like you know, a good balance of both. I try to get, you know, left foot, then right foot, then left foot, then right foot. But some sometimes, you know, you, you do you do find yourself going more towards the, the, your favorite foot. And some people aren't even aware of their favorite foot, feet. But if you send them walking in the desert, you'll find that they walk in circles. And it's because they, they favor um, their right foot over their left or vice versa. Hmm. Um, that is a very sadistic piece of trivia i really really appreciate it actually to be fair i thought that was also partially because the uh people's legs are not always the same length typically yes. one person has a shorter leg or a longer leg yeah i suppose yeah i, I mean i mean um that is that is that 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 is one um uh wild conspiracy theory darren um, but you don't think they have a leg to stand on <laughs> All right. Yes, um, Darren. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is all prime is stuff right here. Brilliant. Um, I hope we're uh, recording. <laughs> we are indeed. It was no mean feat there. But yes, oh. so as, as listeners may have determined, we are sans guest this week. It's just myself and Andrew recording together for the first time since I think back in March when we talked about Infernal Affairs. This is nice. I like this. Just you and I. Yes. And we are discussing a new entry on the 250, a new entry on the list, film number 232, which is a smashing new entry from January 1928, a Um, new entry 92 years in the making, Charles Chaplin's The Circus. And I believe, I believe because even though it's a new movie, because of like what's happening these times, it hasn't been released yet in the cinemas here (laughs) in Dublin. We're waiting on it. I mean, it's it's good. 2020 is a year with an asterisk. Charlie Chaplin was very excited 
about about this like entering the 250 and it's a real shame because yeah. he's uh, waited so long it comes on the 250 it's like all right guys all right artists let's unite and get this um out out in the cinemas um one of one of one of like one of those um um, theatrical experiences theatrical you have to see it on the big screen exactly let's lift back those curtains let's crank up the projector let's um let's feed the film into 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 said projector and shine light through those frames as they as they're cranked um through this projector so that the people in this theater can see the images that we're projecting while you do that i'm going to play this piano and sing um, it's going to be great. What? What's the problem? I don't understand. VOD. What do you mean? <laughs> that sounds rubbish. <laughs> YouTube. Yes. YouTube. But we'll get paid for it, right? Not necessarily. You mean you, people? People are going to be able to watch it for free. <laughs> yes. I mean, why? <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> Thank you very much, Charlie. Very special guest, Charles Chaplin. Very pleased to literally have dug him up and got him on this podcast here. You know, his body was actually stolen um, after he was buried. His body well, was stolen and ransomed. Yeah, I mean, you uh, listeners can't see it, but I'm uh, moving Charlie Weekend and Bernie uh, skeleton, yeah. Weekend and Bernie style, um, to get him to deliver um, all of the... It is a shame that it's a naughty medium. And it's a shame that I'm defiling a corpse. Um, but which of them is the greater shame? Who are we to judge? Yeah, I mean, it, it like the most important thing is that people enjoy this, and for some reason, they some people do. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yes, so yes, The Circus. And you do raise actually a very good point there in terms of it being a new entry on the list. It is not a film that has been on the list before. It's not a film that has been cut from the list because it either dropped off or because it didn't meet criteria in terms of number of votes. It is an odd film to have been excluded from the list for so long. In large part, uh, Charlie Chaplin has... Charlie Chaplin has five films uh, on the list as it stands. This is the sixth. Um, they include The Kid, his... Three of his four big comedies, and his four big comedies uh, basically in the late 20s, obviously The Gold Rush, The Circus was the second one, uh, City Lights, Modern Times, and then The Great Dictator, um, his kind of talky film in 1931. And what's interesting about this is The Circus is generally regarded as the forgotten Chaplin. It's a movie that has arguably only recently been rediscovered, and I mean rediscovered in the sense of being recognized as a film that is great, fantastic, and worthy of celebration. Uh, on release, um, it was celebrated, it was lauded. Variety called it the best Charlie Chaplin film ever made, which was quite a boast at the time. According to Variety, it was also the seventh highest grossing movie of the silent era, which is is also quite impressive as well. Did Variety also say this is the best Charlie Chaplin movie that will ever be made? No, that, that that is a fair point, perhaps. But again, you're comparing it to films like The Gold Rush and films like The Kid, which have been yeah. beforehand. I'd, and I'd like a critic to, to state that on the record at some point. It's like, in, the, in, in this reviewer's opinion, this is Judd Apatow's best movie. Not only is it his best movie to date, but it's the best movie that he will ever make from now on, and he should therefore stop. Please. Um, yeah. Please. Um, but anyway, yes. I, that doesn't represent my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> 
Andrew watched The King of Staten Island recently and he has thoughts. I, uh, but I, yes. I have not watched The King of Staten Island, but like I, I get the sense we won't be covering it, even no, though it's the only movie of 2020. <laughs> like the, yeah, I, I, the, the um, what was it? The Invisible Man? Is that yeah. one? That uh, was one as well that yeah. missed out. Uh, Emma, The Hunt and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, among the last Something films we released horses. in cinemas. Uh, Calm with Horses, that's the Calm Irish with film horses, uh, with yeah. Barry Keoghan, which and Cosmo Jarvis, which I actually quite enjoyed. It's great that you can call it like now the the Irish film, like it's like it's just a one, play. yeah, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is just the one Irish film, yeah, in twenty twenty. Yeah. It's like um, yeah, the uh, Judd Apatow was saying like if he ever had a chance of winning an Oscar, this is the year. Um, and if they cancel the Oscars, he'll be so annoyed. And if he doesn't get nominated, and if he doesn't win an Oscar for something, <laughs> then he'll, he'll, he'll feel slighted. <laughs> it's, it's a very fair point. I mean, people were, com- were, complaining, were saying this could be the year for Bad Boys for Life Best Picture nominee. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, the Oscars, no- the Oscars have actually cheated. They've pushed back their eligibility period. They pushed back the ceremony so that they'll actually be uh, just doing the regular kind of ceremony later in the year, which is a shame because it means that you're going to get a very conventional Oscar slate as opposed to the boomers. I know the 2020 Oscars conservatives. <laughs> They're all living like what Whittier, California. Orange yeah. County, oh, like people, pe- people, people, people who are who are who are actually quite you know progressive and innovative for the fifties. <laughs> um, Somewhat out of date in the twenty twenties, unfortunately. Yeah, sorry, I I must sound like a uh, <laughs> uh, uh, millennial. Uh, uh, Maybe that's not a bad thing. I like how that makes me seem like maybe I was born a little later than I was. I mean, technically, I am a millennial, but when I say millennial, yeah, people picture uh, <laughs> these kids with like a uh, backwards hat and holding a skateboard. Um, I think that's I think that's Gen X. I think you've actually yeah, no, I know, but up. that's what a boomer <laughs> would think a, a millennial looks like. <laughs> yeah. um. But yes, um, but yes, uh, it's it's worth noting as well that apparently this is the week that Gen Z um, came for millennials. So we are already out of date, Andrew. We are out of touch. It's okay, millennials. This week apparently is the messaging that's been sent, which is grand. You either, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that. I like. I I hope that being um, the problem will will bring the same advantages to our generation <laughs> as it did to boomers. boomers. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to 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 being like I'm I'm I guess I guess you and I, Darren, and everyone of our age are are quite happy to be resented because of our outrageous wealth. Um, yeah. and extreme Lives of luxury. Lives of luxury. Yeah. Our speaking um, corporate stability, uh, yeah. lifelong careers, exactly. um, happy marriages, stable families, yeah. all those things that I think millennials can really take for granted. Yeah. Um, no no, re- no, real recession in our lifetime, so to speak. No, uh, not really. Booming they, economy. Exactly. I mean, what, what, what I would like to say, though, is that I sympathize with Generation Z, <laughs> and I, um, I would like to as a as a um as a gesture to to all those people in generation z i would like to um sacrifice my salary and give it to um to them or or at least um swap my salary for shares or something um 
or like actually that thing I just said sounds really complicated and I'm not sure how I would go about it but just know that um that I I'm 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 behind you and that your 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 struggle is our struggle Thank you Andrew I think you're healing the generational gap here I think so um, but yes, onto the circus, which was a massive success when it was released, regarded as the best Chaplin film by some of the critics who saw it, absolutely adored by audiences, box office smash, and yet somehow ended up being the forgotten Charlie Chaplin film. Um, it was not re-released during the 40s and 50s, unlike movies like, say, The Kid, like City Lights, like The Gold Rush, like Modern Times. In fact, actually, it was only really dug up with a re-release in 1969, uh, which was, interestingly enough, the last Chaplin release to be managed by... United artist 1969 yes i did andrew real mature um but but it was uh the last yep it was uh it was dug up then (laughs) as part of (laughs) sorry it was dug up by two chaplain retrospectives uh to mark his 90th birthday and his uh, centenary in new york where it served as the premiere at these silent film festivals um and it was chosen to be the premiere because it was regarded as the least known of all the Chaplin films as well. So it's seen as something How many films did he make? Uh quite a lot of you include shorts. Um, yeah, I mean like, sorry, when they say least known, do they mean least known uh, of his major theatrical the releases? Le- so the least known best known Yes <laughs> yes features. It's uh, the Harry Lloyd of Charlie Chaplin films, Andrew, as it were. Right. You know, the sophisticated man. You know, people say, I like hey, I like the great dictator. go to phrase. Like, it's like the person who doesn't really know sports. You can say, oh, well, like, what's that thing from IT crowds? Think about Arsenal is they always walk it in. And just keep that phrase in your back pocket. Um, <laughs> just sort of drop it on conversation. Yeah, make if you, seem if like you're no not problem. really familiar with silent movies, just say, well, like... Hey, do you do you do you prefer um, do you prefer Chaplin or Keaton? It's like hmm. um, Harry Lloyd. Did I say that right? <laughs> and, and you immediately seem more sophisticated as a result. <laughs> yeah. um, and again, it's it's worth noting as well in terms of what got it on the list, its first entry on the list this year. Seems like it might have been propelled in part by a release by the Criterion Collection as well, uh, which we talked about in the podcast before in terms how, of restoring classic films. How do um, you, how do movies get on the Criterion Collection? I mean, is is there some kind of Criterion? For... for the Criterion, as it were. <laughs> um, there is no criteria for the Criterion. Uh, basically, it's it's, our, it's deemed to be of artistic merit. And they tend to work their way through the filmographies of particularly famous directors. And what's notable about The Circus is, again, that argument of it being the most minor major Chaplin film that exists. In that the Criterion Collection only got to it October last year. By right. which point they had already released uh, restored and, and kind of lovingly restored editions of The Kid, City Lights... Modern Times, The Great Dictator, um, The Gold Rush, Monsieur Verdoux, uh, and of course his Oscar-winning movie Limelight. So they've not only done kind of the big movies of the silent era for Chaplin, they've gone back and also done his reappraised talkies as well. And The Circus, which arrived last year, almost seemed to be kind of a, eh, actually, here's a Chaplin film we haven't re-released, we haven't released, we haven't restored, we haven't yeah. kind of given the full criterion treatment to. Well, I th- I think some some of the popularity of this movie uh, arises from a confusion because it's the minor major um and the the catch 22 sequel catch 23 is very popular at the moment where uh, major major's son minor major 
is one of the um, kind of, you know, re, re, he's he's a bit of a hunk and the internet have gone crazy about him. So they're, they're doing a lot of minor major Googling and tweeting. And there is some uh, pickup in, in the hashtags and that for minor major where it's crossing with uh, this Charlie <laughs> Chaplin movie, The Circus. And people are like, what's this? This isn't that hunk from Catch-23. Um, and, and then they're watching the entire movie because it's not that long. Yes. Um, and it's on YouTube. I, yes, it is also. This is one of the That's things. That's my we... theory, Darren, for, 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 for the popularity of the circus. <laughs> I mean, there are problems with my theory. I will be the first one to accept that. I will, I, I, I will admit that one of the premises, the existence of a movie called Catch 23, is. Quantifiably false. Yeah. Yeah, no. That's... But I don't. I think the argument is strong enough to withstand that criticism. I think if you look at the exactly. argument and it's as if a you, whole, exactly. If you ignore some of the premises and just look at the at the kind of move from premises to conclusion, um, then you can see that if those premises were true, then the conclusion would also be true. Yeah. Now, just because the premises aren't true doesn't mean the structure of the argument itself. Um, like it's it's a great argument, you know. It is a very and good we're argument. We're very happy to put our full full weight behind it. Are we? Um, okay. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad, Darren. Thank you. Um, all right, but yes, and and you're you're entirely right there. Andrew noted that you can watch the entirety of the circus on YouTube because, again, it's one of the rare Chaplin movies where it is so again. A, min a major minor or a minor major release that its actual copyright is up for question. Um, there's a question whether Chapman it's copyright. I hate this, by the way. If you yeah. want to watch this movie, pay for it. Because you are taking Chaplin's body out of the grave and moving his jaw around for your own purposes if you think it's okay to watch um, this movie on YouTube for free, but you totally can. Yeah. <laughs> you totally um... can. <laughs> not that you would endorse such a such a policy or move andrew it is worth noting actually in terms of that so in terms of explaining why it is the the forgotten chaplin film before we get to talking about the film itself it was a notoriously troubled production uh for chaplin so basically it went into production after the success of the gold rush which was released was a massive critical and commercial hit for chaplin chaplin then had his kind of pick of projects what he wanted to work on unlike a lot of his earlier work, and unlike a lot of other um, actors, directors, and producers working in the silent era, Chaplin was not quite as prolific as some of his contemporaries. He preferred to instead work on developing ideas and taking time between releases. He was weighing a number of possible subjects uh, for his next film. He considered doing a movie called The Suicide Club, but apparently press notices for that were somewhat skeptical in 1925. Could you change the title? Yes. Um, we don't like the club feel like it sounds uh, very exclusionary yeah exactly could you go for like a squad maybe um <laughs> i they, would actually squad sounds me... more inclusive it sounds more fun club yeah. sounds very private very um exclusive um like a golf club or um, you, you sound like freemasons are you a communist sir <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> to jump a little bit ahead in chaplin's biography as it turns out uh... But yes, he yeah, was a brand way, 100% is. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
like he hates fascists. Yeah. Um, he 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 feels that people should be given um, a, a, a fair wage for their work. Um, like he he is he is a communist. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, he the but other movie that perhaps. Are you hearing all those noises, by the way, as wires are coming in and out? You should see my rig, Darren. And by that, I don't mean anything like um, uh, the, that's not some innuendo. Um, that is that is the the amount the amount of things that I am plugged into right now is like a cyborg. There is there is there is a like a, there's a skeleton next to me that doesn't know what to think. Because um, all all of these wires and devices, um, it, it's it's like something out of science fiction for them, but a science fact for us. I might be um, I might have drinking too much coffee this morning, Darren. I think I'm just about to have a migraine. We will push on. What were you just about to say? I was just wondering if the skeleton was staying silent on the issue, as it were. Huh? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh. <laughs> all right. So yes, so Chaplin was talked out of doing the Suicide Club in large part due to the press. Um, And in fact, actually, we'll have some press clippings in the show notes that are basically around, oh, thank goodness Chaplin came to his senses. He then also, he then returned to work on his planned Napoleon epic as well, Napoleon biopic, which he'd been working on forever. Was the headline, Uh, there's a good boy? (laughs) No. It's like, there's a good boy, sub-headline. Chaplin comes to his senses. <laughs> That's pretty much the subtext of the article. Yeah. It looks like Chaplin has finally come around, I think, is one of the quotes from it. Um, yeah. Has listened to those who know better about making movies. <laughs> yes. Us. The press. Yeah. Um, but yes, so he, he then turned his attention to a Napoleon biopic, which he would come to come and go from over the course of the 1920s. Arguably kind of evolved into The Great Dictator as well. Finally, he settled on what would become The Clown, um, which would, would, would become The Circus. And again, we'll talk a little bit about the context of The Circus kind of later on when we talk about the movie more depth. But in terms of its production, because this is a large part of explaining why the movie is as forgotten as it is. The production of The Circus was a notoriously traumatic time for Chaplin. It lasted two long years, which is quite a while, even by the limits of, even by the standards of silent cinema, particularly when you would expect actors to be turning out four or five films in the course of a year. Um, And again... The thing that strikes me about what you've just said is that Chaplin is the producer. <laughs> um, so it's like difficulties, like the writer kept on having heated arguments with the producer, the director and the actor couldn't, and the main actor couldn't get along. Um, the, the actor uh, was trying to run the show. Yeah, um, exactly. The, 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 the guy, the guy who sang the theme song, for the movie um had serious personal problems um that with the director the actor and the writer yeah exactly the whole the whole thing um and everyone writer actor director and singer were probably 100 percent trying to bed the uh young female starlet in the movie um, there, there, you've you've uh, jumped a little bit ahead, Andrew, but we'll get to that in a moment. All sorts uh, of problems. Yes, um, that actually did lead to all sorts of problems, but that's way down the list of problems haunting the circus. So the first thing is too many pr- too many cooks. 
Yeah, <laughs> all of which are chaplain, apparently. Uh, <laughs> but yes, so uh, before they began production, a storm destroyed the gigantic set, the tent that they built as the center of the circus, the eponymous circus. One month into production, after filming the harrowing uh, tightrope scene, which was supposed to be the big set piece of the movie, which had been the origin of the movie in terms of Chaplin's planning of the film, Chaplin discovered that the negatives had been lost. So he responded by firing the entire film lab staff on his production lot, which meant that he had to rehire them, which meant a delay in, in filming as well. Nine months into filming, a fire hit the studio, destroyed all of the sets. There were actually some striking photographs of Chaplin kind of assessing the wreckage. Now, now we hit that point that you alluded to there, which is the one that I think pretty much everybody who knows about Chaplin knows about this story, but it's worth going into a bit more depth. How did Chaplin's- I guess? You, you, yeah, yeah. How did you guess, Andrew? Um, knowing Chaplin, knowing that Myrna Kennedy was an absolutely beautiful woman, and knowing the reputation of the man involved. So, Myrna Kennedy, the lead actor uh, starring opposite Chaplin in this movie, playing Myrna, who is the daughter of the ringmaster. She was apparently brought onto production at the insistence of Chaplin's wife, Lita Gray. Lita Gray, you may remember when we talked about the kid with uh, Sarah Hearn last year. She played the adorable little angel um, in The Kid at the age of 12 years old. Chaplin had fallen in love, presenting her with a portrait. Now, by Chaplin's own account, nothing untoward happened involving Lita Gray until seven years later when she turned... When she turns... Oh, no, sorry, three years later when she turned 15. Um, At which point, she became pregnant. So that's when all the untoward stuff started happening. According to Chaplin. Chaplin's account is literally she just got pregnant. That's what happened. Um, Like a uh, miraculous conception. Conception. Yes, if you were to believe Chaplin. Um, But yes. Do we believe Chaplin? No, for reasons I'm about to get into. But yes, Grey became pregnant at the age of 15. Um, Her mother basically threatened to go to the press, forcing Chaplin to marry her. Uh, when she refused to have an abortion. Problem they solved, wed- right? Oh yeah, no, no, absolutely no problems accrue from this. They wed in 1924 when she was only 16. Um, and she would have two kids with him. Now, How many the wedding- crimes so far, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> Has Charlie Chaplin committed? Uh, oh, it gets better. It gets, okay, well, when I say better, it gets worse. Um, but yes, so the marriage was by all accounts a troubled one. According to Chaplin biographer Joyce Milton, Nabokov would actually borrow from the inverted commas romance between Chaplin and Lita Gray to write Lolita. Apparently that was an inspiration for that story. Did he, During- did he, did he have that like in his um, acknowledgments? It's like, I would like to thank the following list of creeps. <laughs> yes, um, for inspiring and- this great work. Yeah. But, uh, so... Lita insisted on her friend Myrna Kennedy getting a job on the circus because Myrna Kennedy could do the actual stunts involving horses, jumping, trapeze artists, and wire work that was necessary for the film to work. This film took two years of Charlie Chaplin's life. You can guess what happened during those two years uh, when he was around Myrna Kennedy. They began an affair. Apparently, Lita discovered the affair when Chaplin gave Myrna a gold-encrusted bracelet, which was identical to the one that he'd given Lita, 
and when he promised that he would put Myrna, cast Myrna, and again, this is a nice dovetie back to Chaplin's obsession with Napoleon. Apparently, you could tell who Chaplin was sleeping with because he offered to make her Josephine in his Napoleon biopic. Lita realized that only a couple of months earlier, he'd been talking about casting her in that role and therefore twigged that an affair was taking place. Chaplin was sued for divorce. He smuggled the film off the lot in order to protect it. Filming shut down for the better part of eight months as a result. Recently, it has come to light. um, The divorce settlement papers or the divorce accusations filed by Myrna Kennedy were discovered in an abandoned bank vault in 2015 in which she alleged that Chaplin made, and I quote, revolting, degrading, and offensive sexual demands and forced to perform acts that were illegal in California in the 1920s, which he said he had performed with five prominent moving picture women before their marriage. These details, um, obviously not... Those aren't details. (laughs) You need to list the sexual acts that were outlawed in California at the time. Because this is the tabloids section of our our um our our podcast like if these are lewd salacious details the people have a right to know um <laughs> but well, but, uh, it, but if it's actually not that bad let's leave it kind of vague so that people think it's the worst possible thing yeah um well i mean keep in mind she was 16 years old so i'm fairly sure I'd whatever Charlie things Chaplin... were illegal then who <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a 16 year old yeah, like, I, yeah, yeah, um, but yes, yeah, so Chaplin again kind of ran off with the film. Apparently, due to these allegations and due to these kind of uh, speculations, thing by the way, like, like, I, uh, I, I suppose, like, there's a kind of a choice sometimes whether to like cry or laugh. And if I seem like I'm being a little bit flippant. glib or flippant, um, like, I just really don't know how to. I'm not very good at this, Darren. I'm not good at podcasts, Darren. <laughs> oh no, no. I mean, I mean, and again, like this is the thing where it's kind of something that I think you have to acknowledge now when you talk about people like Charlie Chaplin. Like it's something you can't really brush aside or ignore. Yeah, I imagine I, we're going to praise Chaplin a lot later in the podcast, and deservedly so. But I think it's in terms of like grounding this particular story, because the way that this story has traditionally been told is that oh, Lita Gray sued him for divorce, and Chaplin had to smuggle the film out of the studio in his pants and protect it from this woman hero. who just wanted her. Gr- yeah, that's it exactly. That's the kind of abiding narrative that you would have gotten it's up until. A couple of years ago. Yeah, that's exactly trying to prevent the, you know, stereotypical archetypal gold digger from getting her claws into his talent and wealth and ability. And I think that, you know, it's important to provide kind of context now. People always people always want to destroy great artists. Yeah. You know, they want to rake up um, whatever dirt they can they can get on Charlie Chaplin or Roman Polanski or Gary Glitter or Woody Allen. Or, um, uh, you know, they, they, they can't just leave these artists alone and let them create um, their fabulous vision. Um, you have to s- s- some, somehow imply that they're uh, guilty of um, acts of gross Crimes. criminality. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, again, like it's worth noting Chaplin by all accounts, and particularly in accounts that kind of came to light after his death, was not a particularly pleasant individual. He apparently Most had a part. That's fair. Like the more, <laughs> the more, the more we learn about our heroes, the less we want to know. Yeah. You know, Darren says as he continues to tell Andrew things that Andrew doesn't want to know. Don't um, want to know, Darren. Putting <laughs> my yet... fingers in my ears. 
but yes, Chaplin apparently had a party trick where he would where he would pantomime the orgasms of his female co-stars for the amusement of his male friends. He would denigrate female stars on set. Marlon Brando, of all people, who worked with him on The Countess from Hong Kong, described Chaplin as probably the most sadistic man I ever met, which is quite something coming from Marlon Brando, of all people. Anyway, after the uh, Lita Gray... Uh, incident after the divorce accusations came to light after her filings Chaplin decided that the best thing to do would be to make all of this go away as quickly as possible so he arranged for a divorce settlement of eight hundred and twenty five thousand dollars in nineteen twenty eight money to put that in perspective that's twelve point five million dollars today it is the largest divorce settlement or was the largest divorce settlement to that time in history after that Chaplin went back to making the circus you would think that all was well. But no, boom. The IRS hit him. Apparently, Chaplin owed $1.6 million in back taxes. That is $24.5 million in today's money. After that, Chaplin managed to get the crew together to film the final scenes, which involved a set of wagons from the circus that was about to leave. After the first day of filming, he left. He came back to discover the wagons had gone missing. Apparently they'd been stolen by students of UCLA who had planned to use those uh, wagons for their bonfires to celebrate a football victory. The wagons were eventually returned and filming was completed. As a result, Chaplin has largely tended to downplay the importance of the circus. Notably in his autobiography, he only makes passing allusion to the film. He only references it in discussing the death of his mother, which, by the way, also happened during the troubled production of the circus. As a result, Chaplin did not push for any re-releases of the circus, like he did for films like, say, The Gold Rush, or City Lights, or Modern Times. This is why the only cinematic re-release of The Gold Rush during Chaplin's lifetime was to mark his 80th birthday in 1969. Indeed, the circus is arguably such a forgotten Chaplin film that its original negatives are lost. Of the big Chaplin films, it is the film that exists in the lowest quality because when the film was remastered in 1969, all the original nitrate was thrown away. So the version that you watch, the version that's available on YouTube, is actually technically lower quality than most of the other Chaplin films that you will see. But yes, so that is to provide some context for why The Circus is arguably the forgotten Chaplin film. But enough about back context, enough about history, enough about Charlie Chaplin. Andrew, (laughs) I could tell you were on the edge of your seat there. Um, But yes, so first impressions, because I assume this is the first time you watched, definitely the first time I watched it, but I'm assuming you had not seen The Circus before. Uh, We decided we'd talk about it on this podcast i had not seen this movie before we decided to record it on the podcast now i have oh all right then so three questions to get us started andrew do you think that the circus belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made put it up there yes all right um really genuinely like yeah yeah in in fact like we have only so far covered two charlie chaplin movies yes on the kid and the top 250 yeah Yeah, exactly and 
so far, I feel like the circus is winning. <laughs> uh, really? More than more than the kid? Interesting. That's yeah, interesting. kid's very pretentious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the circus I, has no notions. Um, yeah, yeah. The, well, no, like the circus is kind of vain and self-serving, and like, like, but it, but it, it's kind of. Um, um, yeah, there, 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 there is a lot to recommend about that. Not that I'm going to recommend it. Yeah, not to jump too far ahead. Not to jump too far ahead. All I'm being asked right now is, do I think it should be on D250? Yes, I believe it's due a reappraisal. Yeah. Part of that reappraisal, Darren, the cementing of that reappraisal should be its place on the top 250 movies of all time, according to the Internet Movie Database. Are you mocking the way that I was speaking when trying to block out you going while talking over my... Uh, is that what I sounded like? <laughs> That's projection, Darren. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I was trying to pay attention to what you were saying while, while also... <laughs> <laughs> trying to distract you, yeah. yeah, yeah. Perfect. Um, I would also difficult, agree with that. Darren. I have a very yeah. difficult job to do here. <laughs> I know we appreciate everything that you do, um, but no, I I would agree with that. I think that the circus probably belongs on there. I think that you know even if it doesn't stay, although it does look like it's going to stay, it's been holding relatively steady as far as new entries go. Um, I think that it's good that it's on there. I think it's good that it's getting the attention that it arguably deserves. I mean, the argument is that Chaplin, with those four films, with you know starting with the Gold Rush, continuing through the circus into City Lights and into modern times, produced four of the great silent film comedies. Arguably, uh, one of the great four film runs for an actor or director uh, in their career. And it's nice to see the circus finally kind of being acknowledged in that sense, in that context. And I think that it being on the two fifty is arguably part of that. I mean, we talked. The, you know the podcast before about what is the point of the 250 it's always changing <laughs> when is this about that every week. every episode yeah. what I, the person i would like to ask those questions to are like is like if we had a 250 expert like somebody who obsesses about the 250 follows his comings and goings <laughs> you know um, is familiar <laughs> with like the history of the list and the the kind of features of some of the movies I'd want to ask them, do you think that the circus is a stayer? Uh, or a goer. Or a goer. Because, yeah. um, like, I want to confront them J.K. Simmons style. <laughs> or, or confront the, the circus and say, like, are you a stayer or are you a goer? Um, or are you going to, uh, um, yeah. Is there a third option? <laughs> <laughs> I presume it's a binary situation, I think. It is a You're... binary situation. I suppose, like, are you a jumper? Are you a dropper, or are you yeah. a stayer? Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you going to be the Denny Villeneuve, <laughs> or the? <laughs> uh, but yes, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's great that it's on the list. I think it deserves to be on the list, and I think it's good that it's getting recognition, much delayed recognition as well. Um, and I think that's very well deserved. And I absolutely, I saw it for the first time and absolutely loved it. That brings us to the second film. Would it be on your own personal two fifty? Assuming you had two hundred fifty favorite movies ever, would this make the list? Um, I think I've spoken before about the tendency of Hollywood to write about Hollywood yeah. and um and that this movie would be in that canon of oh, yes. like um Californian movies for Los Angeles types. 
um, where <laughs> that sounds like a really great handbook. I kind of want to buy that. It's like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> when you start Let's when you arrive at the studios, you're issued. Yeah, you're issued with this Charlie Chaplin guidebook. Um, <laughs> don't turn movies. to the back. Yeah. Don't, what, what's with these? Uh, what's with these kind of uh, confidential advertisements in the back? Just ignore those. Um, yeah. Those are the lead dated. The guys um, from Reno Nine One One, their uh, writing partners, um, have written a book for um aspiring uh uh you know writers and actors and producers that i read while in an la bookshop um and it's kind of about um like we're modestly successful um we 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 do punch-ups for herbie fully loaded and now you can too <laughs> Um, where, where, like, it's it's got a lot of like sections. Like, it has a section on in and out, and it's like, here's what you order in in and out if you're like oh, a yeah. good person, and here's what you order if you're an idiot, um, and that sort of thing. So yeah, they 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 could there could probably in that genre of work there could be another book by us. And by the way, Darren, you're a published author. So um, I feel like that would add some gravitas. Um, <laughs> plus, you would probably do all of the work. Uh, we should do a Kickstarter for this. <laughs> Listeners, Thanks. tweet at us. Um, if you would buy uh, California movies for Los Angeles types. Um, but yes, back to the original question, back though. Your own person. <laughs> Although this movie is guilty of that sin, that, that cinema sin, um, uh, it's also um... I'm not sure we're legally allowed to say that for copyright reasons <laughs> you can watch the entirety of the circus on YouTube but I'm not sure we can get away with using the phrase cinema sin on this podcast we're having a new segment on this show <laughs> called um, uh, cinema everything sin. wrong with the where, circus yeah where we talk about everything wrong with the movie we're also yeah. going to talk about how movies should have ended <laughs> um, etc yeah um, would it be on my own it might it might be on my own because it it says more than that um it says a lot and i think yeah. uh, it's a it's a it's a great movie and i'd be really happy to sit down and watch this again like now yeah like 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 um um as as soon as as soon as i get a chance to see my wife and children again um i like if i'm if i'm ever allowed to i would sit down with them and and watch this movie. Sorry, Darren. I I didn't mean to 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 discuss my own uh, personal, personal life. difficulties. Yeah, <laughs> we should keep any discussions of of personal issues <laughs> out of the podcast out of this discussion of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The real um, podcast was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, changing the subject swiftly because Darren is uncomfortable with emotion. I don't know if it'll be on my personal 250. It's one, arguably, and again, this is one of the things where it's like, is it the best Chaplin film? I don't know. I probably think that Modern Times, which I've seen, is probably a bit better. I think The Kid is probably, as you point out, a film with notions, but it, I think is maybe a little bit better as well. But I don't think I've seen a Chaplin feature length that I have enjoyed as much as I enjoyed The Circus. Yeah. It is a pure delight from beginning to end. And again, I kind of, I suspect that's probably why it would be the most likely of the Chaplin films that I've seen to be on my own personal 250 for the reasons you described in that if I did have a family, Andrew, but I don't because I'm committed to my work. <laughs> I, uh, but if I did, 
I think I would watch the circus with them. This, um, this I, podcast is one of your many gumaras. <laughs> and, 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 um, is, like, is, if, if there was a wife, like, sorry, I'm your podcast wife, right? Okay. So in your life altogether, does that make me your, like, quasi wife, or does that make me kind of your bit on the side? Mistress, or like, Mistress. yeah. Mistress. Gumar? Yeah. Gumar is such a lovely word. Is it? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm not the first person to make the point that nobody wants to be anyone's Kumar. <laughs> Kumar. Um, I, I, I think I think it just I've rolls off the term. Comedian, it's the it's uh, the G, term, the but... M, and the aura sounds. They just make it sound so sensual. I think I get to credit Scott Ackerman ah. for for that particular observation. Um, uh, it feels like I'm I'm being funny. I'm not. Um, uh, <laughs> someone else has. <laughs> and then, final question: If listeners have not seen the circus, would you recommend they pause the podcast, stay at home, and stream the circus to a nearby device? Yes, yes. Yeah. Pause the podcast. Keep the podcast app open, or or keep the the tab on your computer open because it is only seventy two minutes. You're listening to this. Watch the yeah. Don't worry. Like the you should you should make sure that your computer doesn't turn off. Like that is plugged in so that when you come back or likewise your phone because well a lot of these podcast apps nowadays you can you can just listen back to what you can. But what you should do now is you should press like af, after we've said without further ado let's enter the 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 spoiler zone. What you should then do is press pause because this movie is hilarious. This yeah. movie is heartbreaking. This yeah. movie has a fantastic kind of heartwarming tonal balance to it. This yeah. movie has fantastic charismatic performances. It's just a home run from start to finish. If you are not going to watch this movie, then I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> you know, if you have not seen this movie... And are not about to see this movie. What is this even about anymore? Come on. <laughs> what are you doing? It's on YouTube. Yeah. Have you heard of YouTube? If you have a problem with Google and you don't want to give them money, you don't have to. There will be ads. You can put on an ad blocker. <laughs> <laughs> Google will ask you to stop. Um, you will tell them, I have heard your protests and I acknowledge them. Um <laughs> And that is what I'd recommend you do. Um, Thank you. So yes, I'd recommend you you watch this movie. And then listen to us talk about it. Yeah, um, I, I would also recommend it. And if you do feel like you want to support the ghost of Charlie Chaplin, because I'm sure that's how royalties work, right? Um, but no, if you do want to uh, pay for it and you want to support film production and kind of film distribution, film restoration, for which this is a large part, it is available to stream on the Criterion service. If you're in the States, it is available to rent from iTunes or various other service providers in Ireland and the UK. It is also available in a lovely restored Criterion edition. I think it's number 900 and something in the Criterion collection and is therefore worth your time as well. And if you're watching it online, there's a host of wonderful bonus features, including a commentary, including some behind the scenes features, including deleted scenes as well from this movie that are wholeheartedly and, and definitely worth seeking out. So without further ado, join us one, on the other side. Oh. One further ado, we'll just ask Charlie what he thinks we, we ought to do. It's like... Um, Charlie says, give my ghost lots of money. Watch this movie and pay for it. Artists deserve to be paid. We do. 
Okay, Charlie. Thank you. Um, we will join uh, you, the listeners, on the other side of the spoiler zone. <laughs> was that you or Charlie, Andrew? That was that was. I I'm not I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's a boundary anymore. I don't think there's a difference. Uh, all right, so I feel like I might. Uh, when I'm editing the podcast, I might add some cool sound effects in post. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. Um, so, Chandru, or Andley, as it were, um, what is The Circus about for you? The Circus is about a lot of things. The Circus is about um, a capitalism and income inequality. Um it's also about um, it's about some very worthy things that I think say some interesting things about Chaplin himself and about his life, um, and I'm sure you'll be able to 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 fill in some of the blanks. But it's about when you love someone, like really adore them, you want them to be happy, and you want them to be their own person, and you don't want them necessarily to be yours. Yeah. Um, if you truly love somebody, if it's not just that you covet them, then 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 you must kind of um, allow them to be a human being of their own, with their own wants and desires, and exactly. Their own, yeah, and their own needs, and and their own needs being met is more important than your needs being met and or your desires being yeah, met, and not your property or one yeah. of your things. Because, like, no matter how much money you, you have or how kind of successful you are and how much you deserve um, to, to, to have whatever you should so desire, um, people aren't things. And yeah. um, they have their own thoughts, feelings, dreams. Um, and I feel like this is a, an apology in the kind of old sense of the word. Um, and it, it is very kind of confessional, you know, um, in some ways. Um, it's, it's kind of like an alternative narrative, it feels like, of, of the kind of honorable person with dignity that Charlie Chaplin would wish to be. Um, I, think, I think through his art, he's able to be a better person than he can in his personality. Yeah. And I think there's other stuff as well about like the, the, like I mentioned the whole idea of, you know, uh, income inequality or distribution is what economists call it. Problems of distribution, which are generally deemed to be not really problems at all. Um, because it's the market that determines like how much a person gets oh, paid. Oh, it's worth, yeah. And yeah, yeah. And the and the market, um, while it's while it's not perfect, is the best possible kind of um, uh, arbiter. Yeah, exactly. And that if we tried to think of something to to make things better, we would make them worse. So let's not do anything, etc., um, etc. Et Stop me if uh, you've heard this one before. Just before we move on to that, just in terms of what you mentioned about Chaplin and particularly about the presentation of Myrna, 
I think there is actually something in there in in the portrayal of the tramp, the tramp as a character, because one of the things that I find interesting about the tramp is obviously rooted in Chaplin's own childhood, which is a childhood in complete poverty, um, without with an absent father struggling to make ends meet, providing for his his kind of family from a very very young age, notoriously frugal, um, even as the wealthiest man in Hollywood. Um, in fact, actually several people around him complained about how tight he was, uh, with money, despite being one of the richest men on earth at the time. Um, but the thing about Chaplin and the thing about the Tramp, which I find interesting, is Chaplin's films put a lot of emphasis on the dignity of the Tramp, um, despite his abject poverty. That's what makes him funny. <laughs> We're laughing at the uh, at the attempt to be dignified. But yeah, no, things like the, the bowler the... hat, things like the cane, the fact that he walks upright, the fact that he takes pride in himself, despite the fact that he's very much kind of a disheveled individual who's kind of struggling to make ends yeah, meet and transparently starving. He's and again, more sideshow ho- Bob than sideshow Mel. <laughs> Is he really? <laughs> um, Sorry, hold on, wait. What's sideshow Bob's brother's name? Oh, Cecil. Cecil, he's he's sideshow Bob rather than sideshow Cecil, and there is a sideshow in this movie. It feels it feels like the writers of The Simpsons used to really understand what made things funny, and that's another thing that this movie is about, by the way. Yes, it's about being funny. The business of funny versus the funny of funny. yeah. yeah. Um, but very quickly on that idea of kind of, and particularly the the women and people being happy and the importance Darren, we're going of to selfless get to love. All of your bullet points. It's more your bullet point. It's it's like <laughs> know, you're brushing past all this stuff. It's like, hey, no, no, no. I moved on. I'm already on the economy. I'm already on the business of funny. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to feel like there's something to actually unpack there and discuss. But things like say, first seventy two minutes, like the movie itself. Okay, but yes. So very quickly in terms of kind of. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, it is notable actually because you mentioned like the circus is primarily seen as one of his early funny ones it's primarily seen as a comedy it's seen as one of the lighter films in kind of Chaplin's oeuvre and that it doesn't really have say the social commentary that we associate with something like say the kid for example it isn't quite as weighty as something like say city lights or something like modern times or obviously the great dictator it's generally seen as being kind of comedic as being brisk it is the shortest of Chaplin's major films by a significant margin about 16 minutes uh, it's shorter than the kid for example is it a feature length Darren, why are we watching this movie? I mean, I'm glad we did, but why does it qualify to be in the IMDb top 250? I assume feature-length films of yeah. of 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 all times. Uh, if it's if it's what 71, 72, 72, minutes? 72 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, it's not 75 minutes. Am I imagining that 75 minutes is the criteria for the? Is that why it took so long? To get on the <laughs> collection, have they added three <laughs> minutes to it? Um, um, in terms of features and special features. Um, do you want to go to a fact machine and check this in terms of a feature length? Because it feels like we've been making this joke for about two years. We should go to the fact machine. All right. To the fact machine. And we're back from the fact machine. Spent a long time in the fact machine. <laughs> We did. I may have been stealthily rigging it up there while you were meandering. Um, but yes, <laughs> the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Scientists, Arts, Arts and Scientists. I like that. The Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences um, has determined the American Film Institute and the British Film Institute have all agreed that 40 minutes 40. Is, the length, is the length of a feature film. Four zero. Yep. Four. Why zero. can't we do some of those? Well, because none of them have gotten on the IMDb 250. 
Well, like, why, why not? Like, what about, what about, what about the, what about Twin Peaks? <laughs> remember, remember when every episode in the uh, was it every episode that was a movie? Because yeah. if 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 David Lynch thinks that the eighteen hours of Twin Peaks was a, I mean, are we going to relitigate this? If he thinks those eighteen hours were a movie, then he hasn't seen any movies. But I imagine Ever. he has seen movies because he's directed them and he went to film school. So it's not a movie. You put like uh, musical numbers at the end of each episode, even if you put and credits. Like, yeah, you can tell me that every 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 one of them is a, is is a movie of itself. I'll accept that. I'll accept that it's the the um, the um, the Twin Peaks um, Deca Octology. <laughs> that, thanks, Andrew. Um, but. <laughs> that, like Kowalski sort of like was it the 10 the, the, the damn it what the de- the catalog that's the one the catalog the, uh, the catalog as it were the catalog of the catalog uh but yes but yes so yes it is a feature length film just Cac-octa- about it is the cacoctomom <laughs> that, that thanks Andrew. um but yes it is and again notably one of the shorter films on the imdb 250 as well so it is definitely a feature length but in terms of its presentation of, of women and particularly in its presentation of myrna you, again you have the sense of kind of literalizing a recurring motif in these films of chaplin like literally looking up to her she's a source of aspiration when she's dangling again the version that you watched the version that's in release is the 1969 version uh, with Chaplin singing the opening theme song, which we'll probably come back to and talk about in a moment. But the opening sequence has Myrna swinging on the kind of, you know, swinging above the circus and the camera kind of watching her. But later on, it's Chaplin staring up at her, kind of longingly, almost desiring her. Again, you have that point of comparison with, say, Lita Gray when she popped up in The Kid as this 12-year-old angelic figure who could fly. And this idea of kind of women being kind of above or something to be sought. But you're you're right to point out the ending of the movie and particularly the sad ending of the movie because notably Casablanca. Yes. While Chaplin's shorts. And again, there's a lot of shorts that heavily influence this. A lot of gags here come from like various shorts that Chaplin tried over the years, including some shorts that were never actually released and went to the archives. And maybe we'll talk about those in a moment as well. But most of his feature length films tended to end with the tramp pairing off with the lady in question. Think of the ending of The Gold Rush, for example, where they happen to meet on the boat at the end. Think Damn of the it, ending. Darren. Of... I know we're in the spoiler zone. Oh, sorry for all movies. Okay, let's just suffice. No, the rules are the rules. This is the spoiler okay. zone for all movies. That includes spoiling movies for me. <laughs> Okay. Um, you live by city... the sword, you die by the sword. Or City Lights, where she gets her sights back and initially seems like she's going to reject the tramp, but in the end she doesn't and they walk off together. God or Modern it, Times, <laughs> where something similar happens. I'm going to keep it vague there, Andrew. I, I hope you appreciate that. that the was, cir- you're, 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 you're a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but yes, take Teach my word me. for it. Take, take, take my word for it. Most of the big Chaplin feature films end with kind of the tramp pairing off with his leading ladies, even though it, it, you know, critics at the time and critics in hindsight say those endings can feel trite. They feel like they come out of nowhere. They feel like they don't necessarily fit with the movie that you've just watched, but exist yeah. because the audience demands a happy ending. It's the like circus... um, one of the worst movies of all time, um, Harry Potter um, and whatever swing they added to the end of it. I, 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 I hear they're based on books. Um, uh, that uh, a J.K. Rowling 
uh, wrote. Now, I didn't know that J.K. Rowling wrote books. I just knew she was a terrible person. But, um, but uh, they made movies about these books. And the, the second half of the final one... just Which we every... will have to talk to. What? We will, we will have to talk about it at some point. No, not if our listeners do the right thing. And, and vote like, that down. Yeah, vote it down for whatever reasons you want to. But mostly, as far as I'm concerned, vote it down because it's not a very good movie. It does no does not deserve to be on the two fifty. If it's you quite, can hear the sound of my voice, it is half a movie. It makes no sense. You don't know why anybody is doing what they're doing. They want to kill people? Why? Are they the villains? That is not established. Um, you have people like hooking up. Um, anyway, I like I'm not going to talk about this movie. <laughs> The, the Harry Potter movie. I want people to do the right thing, vote it down, uh, whatever reason you have for voting <laughs> that movie down. acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not, it's not against the law for me to tell people no, to, to, no. To, 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 to rig the IMDb 250. You should rig the IMDb 250. Asserting I'm, your power and authority there, Andrew, to exactly. abusing your platform. Take away the platform. Um, <laughs> de-platform and de-platform de J.K. Rowling. <laughs> but um, more okay. <laughs> a lot of people are going to be upvoting <laughs> the Harry Potter movie at the moment because they're like, "Oh no!" <laughs> um, yeah, I suspect that's the reason why it's on the two fifty. <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot to unpack there, Andrew. We don't necessarily have the time to get into all of it, but I feel like what you were How referencing. Much time do we have left. Fair point. Not long. What, I feel, <laughs> what I feel like you were referencing is the fact that the ending pairs off certain characters with very little setup or warning. Right. That's what you were referencing, right? Exactly. And again, a sense in which Chaplin, in the context of the movie. Yes. <laughs> and a sense in which Chaplin's movies tend to do the same thing. The circus is interesting because, as you point out, it doesn't. And again, it has a kind of an ending that is arguably melancholic. It's an ending where the circus goes on without the tramp. The tramp lets Myrna go. She lets her ma lets her marry Rex and go off and have adventures while he wanders off into the great American wilderness, the unknown, into the collective imagination. And there's probably a reason for that that we'll get into uh, in a moment. But uh, yeah, it kind of, it, it's it a good is. message. It's kind it of like is. the the only thing necessary. To you, is you. It's you, yeah, and the 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 like this idea that um you need kind of um other people are obliged, you know, to to um to gratify you because if they don't, you can't be happy. That uh, you know that that's that's a very kind of um, troubling, and it, it like we learn that from, from being films. children, and and yeah. and from uh, and from films, film, pop culture, yeah. sto stories, fairy tales, everything but, that we're told as as kind of kids growing up is exactly. that yeah, this but, is what but, you need. But every child is born a dependent, you know, yeah. um, and and that that's that's the first lesson we learn, you know that that. That, that we need we we need we need other people um and i suppose growing as a person um to some extent means becoming autonomous um and then when you become autonomous find somebody else who's also autonomous 
and share and they become codependent. But no, no, it is. And I think it, it's kind of notable that like the circus, despite having this reputation for being the cheerful, playful, funny one that isn't really serious or doesn't have these hefty themes, actually has this ending, which, you know, having I watched it two or three times. For this, uh, it's very mature. It's very reflective. It's very moving and very affecting hmm. and not in a way that is kind of necessarily sad or tragic, but in a way that does feel, you know, kind of a little bit melancholy without seeming like excessive misery porn. You know, it's not it's not like the kid being taken away in the kid, for example. But you do feel a little kind of sad for the tramp. You do feel a little, you know, even though you know he's going to be fine, even though you know that he's going to take care of himself, you do feel a little bit like, well, he's he's gone now. He's wandering off. You know? Yeah, but but it it's a it's a virtuous kind of sympathy. Yeah, like it's earned. You know, yeah. it's it's not it's not that the tramp is kind of like self pitying. Really, I feel no. like the tramp. Uh, he picks up the he picks up the last residue of the circus, bundles it up into a ball, and playfully kicks it away. Yeah, like he's done. He like he's he's done everything he needs to here. He's going to get on with his life. But I think he has the glorious satisfaction of doing the right thing. Yeah, you know that 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 there's something very kind of obviously fulfilling about getting the girl, um, but that there's something more. Um, substantially fulfilling about letting the girl have the boy, you know, or letting be the girl happy. be the girl, just, yeah. you know, um, or woman. Like, we can't really call her a woman. Presumably, she was also 15, right? I mean, is that slander? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, she's dead, so I don't really think so. Uh-huh. No. Um, then. No she did die. Myrna Kennedy, she was 20 years old uh, when the film was released, so she would have been 18 while it was filming. Uh, okay. She died tragically at the age of 36 as well, and never achieved kind of the fame that you would imagine. Um, that, oh, God. Uh, this sort of, yeah. So this is her at the in her middle age. Pretty much, as unfortunately, as far as her life goes, this was her big Jesus. break. This is kind of like as big as her career got, which is a shame, because she is very charismatic. You can see that there kind of on screen. Um yeah, it, it's quite sad. It is it, quite tragic. Yeah, and uh, like, there are so many, there are so many stories like that in um, California book, California movies for LA people. Yeah, um, it's just chock chock a block, um, full of little um, tragic um, uh, tidbits and anecdotes. Um, yeah. And it's available in all good bookshops. Um, <laughs> Christmas 2020. Um, you don't have yes. to write any other books at the moment, Darren, do you? <laughs> no, I don't have any any commitments, any outstanding commitments uh, kind of ongoing at the moment. Do you want to talk about that actually very, very quickly? The about about Cal- the books you have to write? <laughs> no, about the, uh, Californ- the California movies for Los Angeles people. Because again, this is a large part of the context of the circus. The circus is notably... It's been described as the last silent film of the silent era. It is Chaplin's last full silent film. Although the tramp does not speak in city lights, it includes sound effects. Never go full silent. Sorry. Yeah, um, um, and the uh, yeah to, to quote an actor to, who actually played, played Chaplin. Played Chaplin, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to underscore that. Um, and also again, the tramp does actually sing in modern times as well. He does speak, although he speaks nonsense gibberish Italian. Um, but like there's a sense in which this is the last silent film and there's a sense in which Chaplin was kind of melancholy about that uh, very famously he said I, I was as 
Like, yeah. Isn't that isn't that what every kind of um, retrospective look at silent film is? Is like a you know a, a this heartbroken love song for um, for something um, once. Once uh, perfect, but now lost. Once perfect, now lost. Yeah, yeah. That the uh, yes. that the that all the, the the film that it's so uh, fragile and just kind of you know goes up in smoke in 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 a fire, um, and that you'll never have it back, um, and yeah. that pure untempered nostalgia. And yeah. again, it's notable that for Chaplin, who had used silent film to make himself, and he described himself as more popular than Jesus. Um, didn't get quite the blowback that John Lennon did, uh, perhaps because he was bigger than Jesus, um, at least in the circles he moved. Well, uh, but... I mean, Jesus at the time was, you know, just kind of, you know, still... Coasting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of Jesus's best stuff is... <laughs> was behind kind of, him at that stage. Yeah, was about the... About, about just sh- shortly before the Beatles broke out, Jesus had already kind of basically shown them what it, um, how it was done. I think the Beatles really owe a lot of their uh, success to Jesus, and ought to have uh, given 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 them more, more credit. respect and credit. Yeah, um, and then Jesus was like, uh, uh, "Hold my drink," um, <laughs> and 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 of course had had that big comeback um, to to uh, sang that song about like kind of a lot of people. A lot of people think I'm finished, but I'm here to tell you I'm still Jesus. And uh, it's like what Dr. Dre has been doing for the continuously last, throughout uh, his career, yeah, insisting he's still relevant. For the last 25 years, exactly. Um, um, Andrew, I really appreciate this, by the way. The- I like I like that, you know, I can just take care of the film stuff and I can count on you to fill absolutely everything else out. I didn't know that about Jesus's late stage career revival. I'm really glad you're able to kind of fill me in on that. Um, I, I think like for our Christian listeners, they'll mostly appreciate the, <laughs> the podcast for these sorts of, uh, of, of respectful details. Um, yeah. yeah. Respectful, accurate, um, true accounts um, of these careers, but it is worth noting <laughs> as it were. Uh, but yes, in terms of kind of Chaplin famously quoted as saying, when he asked, would he speak in films? He said, I would as soon rouge marble cheeks. Pictures are pantomimic. Um, he very much kind of insistent on the tradition. <laughs> yeah. the person who asked that question know, like, did they understand what the answer was? <laughs> Imagine, like, some rookie newsy, like, <laughs> hold, hold, holding a microphone. And it's like, Charlie, people are saying these, these, these talkies are an ex-big thing. What's your read? And it's like... <laughs> I would sooner rouge marble cheeks. Pictures, Pictures are pantomimic. <laughs> Can you say that again? <laughs> Boys, we got a scoop here. Um, <laughs> but yes, um, again, sense of Chaplin being kind of anxious about this. And it's worth noting again, by the way, that uh, the this film came out very shortly after The Jazz Singer, which was released in October 1927. 
uh, production on the final scenes of the film were going were taking place while the jazz singer was generating a lot of press, a lot of attention as well. You had Disney working on Steamboat Willie, which again would introduce sound. It would relegate comedy, you know, the sort of comedy that the physical slapstick that kind of Chaplin had done to a lot of cartoon characters as well. And a sense in which kind of things were changing and the idea that things were going to be increasingly outdated. And there's a sense in kind of watching the circus that you can see Chaplin almost grappling with that there's this sense throughout the film of a kind of a circular nature to things you mentioned the kind of prequel or the kind of openings it's the i heard somebody talk about um it was the adventure zone we're talking recorded a podcast about their podcast and they talked about the snake eating its own tail but also sucking its own dick And if you were being cynical, you could maybe say that the circus is doing exactly the same thing. Uh, Because Chaplin, it's very much a kind of a self-referential film. You have the sequence where, and by the way, actually, if you want to chart the long and troubled production history of the circus when you're watching it, you can generally tell when certain scenes were filmed by looking at Chaplin's hair. During the divorce and faced with the prospect of his own secrets going public, Chaplin's hair apparently went stark white and he had to start dyeing it. So you'll notice at certain points in the film, even in individual cuts and takes in say the tightrope sequence for example Chaplin's hair gets noticeably darker because he started dyeing it you'll also notice that the opening scenes which were shot in Venice in California he's dyed the front of his hair but the side of his hair is speckled kind of like uh, salt and pepper color uh, which again kind of gives a sense that those were shot kind of late in the production cycle so you kind of trace the movie through Chaplin's hair color and Chaplin's hairstyle which is interesting Dar- uh, but- Darren's hair has fallen out during, over the, during, during, the pan. during this podcast it's it's now a very pleasant bald yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, like you you've been pulling aerodynamic yeah as, just as, frustration as it it's very it's very aerodynamic darren and i appreciate it thank you thank darren you. for the egg <laughs> perfectly symmetrical um but yes again you have the sense of kind of acknowledge my <laughs> reference to the movie we're discussing <laughs> Um, but yes, 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 it is. Well, again, again, you mentioned poverty and you mentioned wealth inequality, food, very important in Chaplin's films. Notably, the tramp repeatedly bonds with characters. And again, we, we saw it in the kid and you see it here when he bonds with Myrna over the sharing of food because food is vitally important. And again, rooted in Chaplin's childhood because Chaplin knew how it felt to go hungry and how it felt to starve. Uh, and so that became a part of his film. And how it uh, felt like to be a child lusting after an older woman. <laughs> Rather than a a kind of an older man um, lusting over a a younger woman, because I imagine that was probably the position that uh, Chaplin and a lot of vaudeville children found themselves in, yeah. like where they didn't really have, um, like did you say earlier that he didn't really have a um, a father figure? Right, his father was gone. Yeah, exactly. And, but he, and his relationship with his mother was very strained. Right, but the 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 is it um is it when when Chaplin was growing up did he spend his time kind of like in a lot of tents like the um kind of vaudeville vaudeville he did he yeah with a lot of, a lot of women getting changed um and saying well, Char- Charlie that. Charlie come over here and give me a big kiss give me a hug Charlie um, I'm not sure I ever said that but it, I uh... <laughs> Context, Darren. Context, that's <laughs> fair. I was able to intuit it. Now, to be fair, it is, it is worth noting again, Chaplin 
great deal of affection for the circus. And again, this idea of kind of the circus. Yeah. Um, It is worth noting that he performed actually some of his earliest performances uh, were with, and I'll get the name of the troupe here, but it was. It's a showcase. This movie. It's a showcase for his work with the Casey Casey Circus. He performed as part of Casey Circus, uh, was one of his first vaudeville gigs as well. And again, the idea that circus, the circus was a metaphor for early cinema. And in particular, the idea, you mentioned this idea of showcase and set pieces, because that's how a lot of old silent films were structured. Scripting wasn't really all that common in terms of early kind of like structuring of movies and making of movies. Chaplin didn't tend to work from scripts and set lists. What he would do, and again, the origins of the circus, the image that the circus derived from, was the close, near-closing sequence of the tightrope walk. Where, like, the original pitch for the, the circus was Chaplin saying, I'm on a, a rope, I'm high above a crowd, there are monkeys, and I have to walk across it. And the entire film was reverse-engineered from that. And Chaplin like would talk... I that approach. Yeah. I um, do. And again... I mean... <laughs> and... Like, you go to the archives and you see that, like, the scripts for the circus are largely storyboards. And they're storyboards taken from his imagination of the set pieces he's going to put in there. Sequences like the lion's cage, for example. Sequences of the clown. Sequences like the opening sequence with the pickpocket on Noah's Ark on Venice Beach, for example. Like, it's very much kind of, again, it's something like a circus. It's a series of set pieces. And again, even more than that, if you went earlier, you would have gone to, like, the Nickelodeon and you would have seen a series of shorts, which would have been largely disconnected kind of short movies, which would have been more like going to a circus where you have, you know, people jumping through hoops, magicians, clowns. You go and you pay and you see a variety of different shows. And so You'd seeing have to a logical really connection... pay attention to realize that there was a logical connection between all of the different acts in the circus. And the, the, the um, we have our own kind of circus podcast where we explain... <laughs> the that I, I, Yeah, yeah. Actually, the barber act... And the um, magician, the, uh, and the magician. If you look at the structure of the circus, one is um, is second from last, and one is second from the beginning. And what they're doing is is they're interacting along this, uh, along thematic lines. What the what the what the um, what the what that lad with the big hat is doing is making a point about um, the. Um, Insanity of modern life. The expectations placed on the modern male. Placed on the modern male, exactly. It's about uh, building bridges and tearing down walls. Walls. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. But yeah, again, that, that's what's kind of Chaplin's sort of big innovation. Chaplin's approach is very much modeled on that kind of circus approach where he would build the movie around particular set pieces. Indeed, he had a long affection for clowns. Uh, very famously in the book Clowns and Pantomimes by M. Wilson Disher, written in 1925, he traced the lineage of Chaplin's kind of screen comedy back to the classic clown Grimaldi and his ability to link comedy and tragedy, pathos and comedy uh, together kind of on screen in cinema and said Chaplin was basically the 20th century equivalent of those classic clowns. And Chaplin took on that mantle and kind of saw it as something that was important or something that gave his work context or meaning, as it were. And Do like we... that's... Sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. Um, again, it's notable that like the score, and we'll talk maybe about. Are you the moving on from clowns? Because my no, point no, is no. about clowns. No, no, I'm at. Will you let me make my point, and then we'll come back to it. We'll talk about the nineteen. Damn it, Darren! I'll hang up this phone. I'll do it. Uh, well, listeners won't get to enjoy any of 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 this. That um, you're you're nothing without me, Darren. Nothing. I am actually. I, I know. I'm sorry. Every um, podcast but... needs some uh, a co-host. 
who doesn't have any obvious kind of thing to add to the structure or content of the show, but is necessary. Except wish, charm, intelligence, and insight. But anyway, we'll we'll come back to that. Too kind, Darren. Um, but more You've more been to the reading point. our reviews. <laughs> I've been writing our reviews in secret. <laughs> Two fifty fan oh four is secretly me on iTunes. No, but uh, but more seriously, to bring us back to the clowning point. Um, and again, and I we'll was talk only about clowning, Darren, you were only clowning. Yeah, uh, back to the juggalos. Back to the juggalo point, as it were. Um, but the thing about that is that, like, we'll talk about the 1969 score in a moment and Chaplin's theme. But orig- the um, the film historian Gillian Anderson in 1992 managed to dig out Chaplin's original score for the circus. The score that he had deigned to be performed at the premieres of the film in Los Angeles and several weeks later in New York. And again, it's very literally a composite piece. Chaplin would cut out samples of music from other works that he wanted the orchestra to play at certain points in the film, literally quoting and referencing. And again, in the original 1928 release, for example, in the closing scenes, he samples the music Blue Skies, which was famously the song sung in The Jazz Singer, in order to draw a connection between this film and the end of the silent era. But in the opening scenes, and at various points involving the clowns, he would actually quote from the opera... uh, was it Pelagi? Uh, the great clown. Pagliacci. Sorry, apologies. The clown Pagliacci. It's He'd okay. actually quote from the opera. I'm sure it'll, um, it'll be in the show notes. It will be It will be in the show notes if you want to follow. People aren't sure how it sounds <laughs> yeah. and want to know how it's spelled. Check yeah. check the show notes. But yeah, but again, Chaplin I, very little. that I write? Is <laughs> that you write, Bernie? Like the alternative version of... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but again, Chaplin very much kind of framing it in that sense. And again, that sense of clowning. And again, it's probably, I think you mentioned you wanted to talk about humor and funny and kind of comedy because it does have things. Well, everyone to loves say. the funny man. Isn't do it, they, like, enter, do they I can, really? I can imagine that that's what the clowns in this movie are saying. I wanted to talk about the clowns <laughs> in this movie because they're they do pathos very well. They do very, very well. <laughs> Not so much comedy. No. But, but pathos they have down. It's <laughs> like they, they they went to a very esteemed uh, college, <laughs> college. Of, of clowning. Stanislavski's like, kind of clowning school. Exactly. Yeah. They, they went, there is actually a really kind of serious clowning school in Paris, isn't it? Lecoq. Um, where, where like loads of people, I think I know people who went to, uh, Lecoq, but it's the creme de la creme of clown. Um, it's the clown de la clown. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's, um, it maybe feels like some of the clowns in this movie have paid more attention to (laughs) to the seriousness, yeah, to, to the seriousness of, of, of clowning and the fact that you're a clown and shouldn't be shouldn't be <laughs> proud you of your station in life. You <laughs> should you should look like you're an alcoholic um, with very little money, um, desperate for a little bit of recognition, knowing that that desperation is ultimately futile, um, and that your best years are behind you, and that things will only get worse. The, and the best the, years weren't even that good. And the best years weren't even that good. 
they weren't as good as you you had promised yourself they would be. You promised yourself those things as some sort of um, you know trick that you played on yourself. Um, yeah, these these clowns are sad clowns. Um, these clowns are upsetting. Yeah. They the you you look at them. They, yeah, they they feel like I don't know how they're not trying to destroy. Um, Charlie <laughs> Charlie Champlin's The Tramp. Like surely that would be the most natural response of all of them. They would there would be a scene where they conspire together. So it's like, do should we kill him or just blame him? Yeah. Okay. Everyone agrees we should kill him. Any dissenting voices? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe we'd maim him. Do we want to have a vote? Maim him. Anyone for maim him? Just yourself. Okay. Kill him. Kill him, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Do you wanna? Do you wanna also agree to kill him? Let's kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like I feel. Yeah, I feel like there there is a there's a great esprit de corps. Um, maybe maybe the clowns look at him and they think, this is what I got into clowning to 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 do. This guy has has reinvigorated me. He's he's really raised the bar. I'm going to be a better clown because of this tramp. Um, maybe that's what it is. Um, Again, I, I think I think it actually makes the point, which is quite salient, which is that you know, people trying to be funny or that like the best humor seems effortless. And again, the, yes. the joke the joke in the circus is that the tramp is funny when he's not trying to be funny and isn't funny when he is trying to be funny or is funny in ways that he's not trying to be funny. So like uh, when he tries to do the barbershop sketch, for example, he only becomes funny when it goes off the rails or when he, he's hilarious to the audience when he's dismantling other acts like the tight, the tightrope act or the magician act or things like that. Or well, even when he kind of shows up and knocks over the cops. It's it's this kind of point about the the structure of the funny versus the anarchic life of the funny. Like the 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 thing that's funny about it is like here's this thing that you've seen a thousand times before and here's why it's funny and um uh, now do that thing that is funny according to the structure of why it's funny. And uh, if you follow these um, steps, um, it's a it's a formula that never loses. And it's like, you're not following the steps. You're not following the formula. You're, the, the, the structure is there, but you're not respecting it. And yet everyone is laughing because the it's the it's the it's the anarchy it's 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 the kind of it's the incongruity of kind of you know when you know the joke the joke is not is 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 no longer as funny as the way um that you tell discovering it it. Yeah. yeah or it's telling it wrong or um kind of like approaching it from different angles um and it it can even become funny that it's not funny and like all of the different kind of levels of of anti comedy and things like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which um, which some people some people who aren't good at comedy are very good at anti comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we talked about it on Joker. We talked about Arthur Fleck being something like forty years behind the times. Right. And he would have he, he would have quite literally killed on comedy Bang Bang. Yeah, um, or like an Andy Kaufman. In fact, yeah. I think Arthur Fleck has killed. On um, <laughs> on Murray, on, whatever uh, improv, it is, improv for humans. Um, <laughs> yeah, as well as um, Murray Murray Abraham or 
What's his name? Is that his I can't name? remember. I can't remember his surname. It's just Murray Live. Is, is Speaking of Robert De Niro, what about <laughs> that guy who's like, give me that pill. Give me that the horse pill. pill. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Speaking of Robert De Niro and comedy Bang Bang, there is a guy in this movie who's like, give me that pill. But very, very quickly, oh, while, we're talking about the, while we're talking about the humor, actually, it, it, it is worth noting that, um, sorry, that actually Gene Wilder, as all people, has credited um, the circus in his, in his memoir, Kiss Me Like a Stranger, as the movie that taught him the art of being funny. And he said that, like, if the thing you're doing is really funny, you don't need to act funny while you're doing it, which is apparently a huge insight to Wilder in terms of kind of his approach to comedy. And it's something that he thinks he learned from Chaplin working on the circus. And that is one of the answer. few books I have read about oh. uh, uh, about and by an actor. Um, uh, Kiss Me Like a Stranger. Uh, is it a California story for Los Angeles people? No, it's it's the story of a... A, uh, a beautiful kind of vulnerable um, artist who has, to my knowledge, not killed anybody, <laughs> or um, or like um, done any uh, anything that would mandate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like um, Gene Wilder is still not due to be cancelled. Um, like somehow, um, I guess it's because he shuns the. The limelight, or, may, or maybe he's a good person. Um, and I'd <laughs> one say of the, that's, one of those two. Prob- those two things are probably related. Um, <laughs> like, um, yeah, he is. Um, I love Gene Wilder. Yeah, and um, I, I, it's so funny because I just before before we started talking, um, I had YouTube open to watch this movie, and as YouTube does. It'll automatically play movies afterwards. It played a um, a video essay about Gene Wilder um, and about about being. Um, um, I can I can probably tell you so that you can put it in the show notes. Um, it's how to react na- naturally, a a, a documentary, and uh, okay. yeah, and I can see why YouTube made that connection. Google's algorithm is actually pretty pretty smart. It turns out pretty uh, pretty smart. Pretty pretty. Smart. I see but... you, Google. You hear me, Google. <laughs> I'm about to say, Google also sees you, Andrew, apparently. Yeah, hats um... off entertainment. Google <laughs> is sending us a, an email to say that it can see us, it can hear us, it's disgusted, and it wants money. <laughs> send, <laughs> it's send, watching us all the time. Send money yeah. to this account. Or Here I will tell password. everyone what you, what what you, you do. do. <laughs> yeah, what you, what We're recording... Alone. A really nerdy podcast with your friend Darren. <laughs> I will tell everyone that you're doing this. Um, <laughs> Disgusting little man. Um, but it, it, it is in terms of contextualizing um, Chaplin as well, in terms of sort of looking at Chaplin and the importance of silent film, it is worth noting that um, the origins of kind of pantomime and the importance of pantomime in the evolution of cinema. Um, dialogue was banned um, in theaters apart from the Theatre Royale. So music hall comedy and performance in the early 20th century, when Chaplin would have been coming up, would have traditionally been kind of silent. This is why Chaplin invested kind of so much in silence, why he believed so much in silent cinema, and why he was so wary of kind of talkies and moving to talkies. And indeed, like, again, in the context of what we talked about there, the idea of the tramp being funny without realizing that he's funny, 
Chaplin, when he talked to biographers, said that he had no idea why his comedy landed and other people's didn't. He had no idea how long this was going to last. He had no idea what he was doing. He's credited with one of the silent actors who basically classified and defined cinema, who invented cinema to a certain extent, because he didn't really know what he was doing or how he was doing it. And so when the talkies came along, there was a real sense of kind of an end of an era. And again, it's worth noting in the context of the circus, a lot of the circus does feel kind of reflective uh, and kind of backwards looking. And again, you have that whole of mirrors sequence at the start with Noah's Ark. But like even that opening sequence is set on Venice Beach in California. The tramp was first introduced. And I think we mentioned last year with the kid and we'll include it in the show notes because you can watch this for free. Kid Auto Races at Venice was the short that famously introduced the tramp as a main character to audiences. So there's a sense in which this is bringing the tramp a full circle again. And again, even if Chaplin, I don't know if he intended intentionally, I don't think it's he. He doesn't seem like the kind of artist who's like, well, this was my big plan. But the importance of circular imagery within the film as well. The fact that it opens on an iris in, iris out, the circus ring, the fact that you have the puncturing of the kind of hula hoop at the start um, as well, and the kind of the finding of the tag yeah, at the end. I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's that important whether artists realize what they're doing. I think there, there's, there's some kind of noumenal um, substance. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> but uh, but uh, <laughs> let's just say it oozes out of their, that, their I bet say does that, yeah does that sound any less disgusting does that sound less disgusting I, okay um, let's say like they they can't help it and they really need to go and then and then like then they, they just art everywhere apparently they, exactly yeah 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 they art all over the place just and again arted everywhere <laughs> <laughs> thank you charlie um but again and again you can see a lot it's of the like best art as well yeah. it's a it's a big messy art yeah. um it's going to take two watches to get all that art down i think um but yeah the the vagabond like you see the chaplain kind of recycling material that he used elsewhere so things like say the vagabond the short the basic structures taken from there even like the little hot dog sequence joke comes from a dog's life which is one of his more popular shorts as well but even things like and again you kind of can see the man the eating of- popcorn meme that also possibly came from here as well, yeah. I love that. It's when like, he's on the tightrope. Well, yeah, was that the first example of of of, of eating popcorn meme? Because we've seen it a lot with, like, Michael Jackson, with <laughs> Bill Hader from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, but this is perhaps <laughs> the, first, the first one. Is there any money to be made out of memes? Because if this hasn't been memed, meme that. <laughs> we need to get on this right <laughs> yeah. now. Find some way of making money out of this. Put yeah, a little touch. ad for the two fifty in the bottom of the meme, <laughs> <laughs> and then first make make a hugely successful meme. Second, drive traffic to the podcast. Third step. Yeah, I mean, we, I feel like we need more steps. <laughs> um, <laughs> um. But it, somehow, yeah. <laughs> somehow. but it is worth noting as well, again, in terms of kind of like uh, the end of the silent era, his friend Max Linder, who was regarded as one of the great French silent comics, um, had committed, had died in 1925 as part of a sordid murder-suicide pact with his 18-year-old wife. Um, but oh, Max Linder... Swing. That's one of the chapters in, um, in... California stories for Hollywood people, for Los Angeles people. yeah. Yeah, um, that feels like a chapter title. Yeah. What is it again? 
sordid murder suicide with 18 uh, with his 18 year old wife with his 18 year old wife yeah yeah so max um, linder who an was anthology. a big, yeah. God. big friend of chaplin big friend of chaplin they had a lot in common they i'd say parent- Yes, I imagine they did as as silent film stars, comedians, origins of kind of the the cinematic art and other stuff, which you can probably infer from the phrase murder-suicide pact with his 18-year-old wife. Um, But Max Linder's death affected Chaplin so severely that Chaplin actually halted production um, on the film that he was making at the time. I think he would have been finishing up on The Gold Rush um, on his studios for a whole day in order to mourn the loss of Max Linder. It's been noted that the circus bears certain similarities to Max Linder's final film, which is The King of the Circus as well, and in some ways could be seen as a salute to the silent French comedian as well, and a desire to bring kind of closure to it. And it's notable that in that context, you have the idea of the circus being the story of this tramp who just wanders into the middle of this giant show business arena, who captures the public's hearts and attention, doesn't necessarily intellectualize or understand how he managed to become as successful or as beloved as he is, but still manages to be kind of at the center of attention. And then as the music from the jazz player resonates on the soundtrack, the show moves on without him, disappears into the distance and carries on with its life. And he's just left standing there in a big circle in the middle of the dirt. I do find something kind of quite evocative about that image. Now, obviously who was it? Was it, was it, um, was it that James Elroy guy who, or who, who, who did the Black Dahlia, or was it the woman who wrote uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, who said that um, all, um, all, um, all fiction is uh, biography and most uh, biography is fiction. Um, so this is a piece of fiction that tells the true story of Charlie Chaplin and other people in Charlie Chaplin's life. And every piece of biography that you've heard about (laughs) Charlie Chaplin is a lie. Uh, You just need to watch the circus. You don't need to actually study. You don't need to read Joyce Milton. Yeah, to Peter Ackroyd's book or to Joyce Milton's biography. None of those materials are worth your attention whatsoever. No attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> to people who have done any actual research on the subject whatsoever. Okay, do we want to talk very quickly about particular scenes? Um, so things like the tightrope, which was... And again, you want to talk about the circular sequence of the film. Yes, Yes, the tightrope the tight sequence had to be shot twice. Because they shot it first. Only because, twice? Well, okay, 700 takes of, of film. And by the way, to give a sense of that... Two two hundred eleven thousand feet of film were shot, were used to make this movie, but only six thousand five hundred uh, feet were used in the final cut of the film. So Chaplin, it's a lot it's, of numbers, Darren. That is, yeah, one of them is very much bigger than the other one. But yes, <laughs> yeah, seven. I, I, I was trying to kind of like jog my memory <laughs> to see like which of those numbers was bigger. <laughs> yeah. Was it bigger by a significant amount? Yeah, astonishing, uh, Darren. Truly yes. astonishing. <laughs> but it, it is worth 700 takes on the tightrope sequence. And again, we talk about the circular structure of the film. That's because... a lot more than most sequences. Yes, that, th- thank you, Andrew. Um, Kubrickin, it has been described as. Um, and again, the idea that you have that because uh, uh, of... Chaplin was Kubrickin it when... Um, the... <laughs> divorce settlement, the divorce notification came across his desk. Yeah. Um, but, but yes, so he... Um, 
But yes, 700 takes in the tightrope sequence. He shot it at the start of production. Then, because the footage was destroyed, had to shoot it again at the end. And again, gives you a nice sort of sense of a dovetail or a circle. as kind of a circular structure to the film or production of the film. It's, um, is there it's breathtaking. Is there parallel, uh, Darren? Well, again, it's breathtaking. This is the thing with the tightrope sequence. It's been suggested. And again, this is the thing with the kind of the circular, the snake eating its own tail or the man sucking his own dick, depending on how you want to define this, depending on how kind of romantic you want to be about the silent film era. Um, But it is notable that you have, you can see the influence that Chaplin was taking from other artists. And again, to drop the classic 250 trope of, we don't know anything about the silent era, but we're going to pretend that we do into it. You can see the influence of Harold Lloyd's thrill cinema um, in the climax of the circus, in that the entire Very point much of the title. So, Darren. Yeah, I, I think agree. absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, With even if. Understanding you... silent movies as I do, I concur. Do, do you concur? I concur. Uh, I should have concurred. Um, but yes, you could see the influence of um, of Harold Lloyd there. And again, even things like Say Safety Last, which is the Harold Lloyd film that I think a lot of people will have seen. But the idea of thrill comedy, which is the idea of the actor doing something that is ridiculously, absurdly dangerous. And again, in terms of production, in terms of destroying the magic, one of the wonderful things that the production team did on this, the special effects that they used were simple double exposure. So they do things like they'd have a net below Chaplin, but they would shoot the footage twice. Uh, once with the net and once without the net and then overlay the footage without the net underneath the footage of Chaplin walking across the net. There's a lot of special uh, effects in this. There is. It's, it's quite impressive. So it's double uh, exposure with the with his um his uh ghost. His, 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 yeah. His um what do you call it? Like spectral his, presence. His animus. Yes. Um, uh, with Rex. Yeah, Animus Rex. <laughs> <laughs> Um, animated Animus Rex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Animus, Animus fight, Animus v Rex. <laughs> yeah. um, and and again, like it, it's worth noting, in ter- that's how they did stuff with the lions cage as well, because apparently Chaplin had originally wanted to shoot footage with actual lions, because of course he did, because this was the silent era and health and safety was a thing that didn't exist. But on his first well, day, shoot- it's uh, you know it's all right because uh, he's he's got him insured. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, you have that kind of. Um, I'm trying to think of another reference I can make from. He's the, insured uh, from himself, and he's like, <laughs> "If I die on this shot, it's okay because I'll get all the insurance money." Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, but <laughs> who's, he, he... who's who's got no thumbs because they were bitten <laughs> off by a lion and is getting a big insurance payout? Not me because I'm dead. Um... <laughs> that guy. <laughs> I don't need my thumb to point at him. Uh, but yeah, no, because he, he did. He went to meet the lion on the first day of shooting and apparently the lion went berserk and he figured out that the reason why the lion went berserk was because he'd been filming the tightrope sequence with the monkeys in the morning and the lion had smelt the monkeys on him and had wanted to attack him. So the lion was also done via double of, There was a lot of monkey arse. Um... <laughs> oh yeah, some, some really, really great monkey work. And again, yeah. it's been... It is something I... Like, like, I don't think Charlie Chaplin... Uh, directed the monkey <laughs> the to <laughs> to bite his nose and not stop biting his nose. Yeah, and if you're watching, you can actually note that even in later sequences um, after that, because they shot roughly kind of in order and continuity, you can see the bruise on his nose even under the grease paint makeup um, because the monkey did bite and wouldn't let go. It's yeah, been noted. That... It's, it's like like monkeys know where the best meat is. It's all on the uh, nose. Well, yeah, like 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 if if. Um... If you want, like, like, 
easy easy to eat like kind of um, meat if you're if you're going to tear somebody's face off is is face off um go yeah like bits bits like the if you go to your sorry i this is something this is like a, a recurring segment on the podcast is i am not an axe murderer but if i was but i've thought uh, about it a lot <laughs> yeah and on that subject i want to say charlie's um uh attack um against the um against the ring master it's actually yes. pretty good um like there's some, there's some decent stuff there um particularly it, considering his size the size disadvantage that he has exactly because and he does mess that ring master up pretty good and i can believe it and actually looking at charlie chaplin i wouldn't be surprised if he's been in a lot of fights um uh and i feel like that maybe comes across now now i'm not like an authority on any of these sorts of things i'm not an axe murderer or or a mixed martial arts fighter but um but if i were the kind of who who were i i would i would i would approve of what he does here he seems to kind of put the ringmaster off balance and then doesn't even doesn't even throw guards you know where 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 you jump onto a a a person to hold them in your in your in your full guard he kind of jumps mount he jumps um gets his legs around his waist and be- because he's put him off balance Bound. um falls backwards rather than forwards um which just allows him to rain down punches on this ringmaster. You can see that there isn't a scratch on, um, <laughs> on on the tramp at the end, in spite of the fact that he's being escorted out. Um, and his the, was the moral victory. His was the moral victory. And the ringmaster got um, so much ass whooping, so much pain. Even in la- later scenes, you can see that he st- still has like a significant shiner. Um, when all has been forgiven, the the bruises are still there, <laughs> and I, I I like I'm not I'm not condoning violence, but <laughs> um, but this this particular uh, segment of of movie violence gets the gets the um the thumbs up two fifty seal of approval yeah. Um, but sorry, what I was about to say about that snake eating its own tail and and monkey sucking its own dick, as it were, in terms of film references. Um, again, the fact that like this is the circus is a kind of a Harold Lloyd esque thrill comedy sequence, but then you can see that both Lloyd and Buster Keaton took cues from the monkey comedy of the tightrope sequence. So, for example, Lloyd used monkeys in the Kid Brother, and Keaton would use them in the Cameraman. So you get this sense of kind of Hollywood feeding itself, and the idea kind of 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 Chaplin informing and kind of like stealing from others, but also being stolen from in turn, and kind of this idea of kind of the Hollywood existing kind of on a continuum, which I find kind of interesting. Yeah, it's you feed, you feed horse, you feed a horse, you feed the horse, feed. You give it feed to feed on. Then Swing. It's out manure. Then you take the manure. <laughs> you plow it in the ground. You grow more feed to give to the horse who produces more manure to put on the grass. 
plow into the soil. <laughs> At some point, you're, you you need seeds. You find the seeds in the horse's manure. Um, that, thanks, thanks, Andrew. It's the circle of life. Yeah. It moves us all. Circle of life. I feel like I express it beautifully. <laughs> yeah, summed it up beautifully. All right, then. I think that about wraps it up, unless there's anything else you want to talk about with the circus. Anything that we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at you? I do love the Hall of Mirrors sequence. I actually really, really love that. Um, I know that I was like, things you like about the movie. <laughs> now that I mention it, I do love the Hall of Mirrors sequence. It's a great and, sequence. And him, like, again, great violence. Yes. It's knocking the guy on the head. <laughs> yes, the Repeatedly. animatronic thing. Yes. Yeah. That's, again, that's Noah's Ark. It's actually an institution that existed uh, in Venice Beach, I think, up until 1948. But they have openings all over the U.S. And there's actually one in Blackpool that closed in 2018. Um, oh, wow. so it is actually an installation that exists and is, is reasonably popular. I think the last existing one is in Kentucky, but I'm not entirely sure. We'll include details in the show notes. Goodness. Well, I mean, it's worth a, a trip. I think next week we're going to Kentucky to <laughs> uh, to record um, noted 2017 Kentucky masterpiece. I'll let you uh, finish that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no Colonel, pressure. Colonel Sanders Gold. That's right. Okay. Next week. Um, so, um, or is it, is it, is it the, Jack, the Jack Daniel question um, uh, that, that we're, that we're that going to be seminal covering? seminal 70s masterpiece. That's seven, uh, yeah, that's seminal, seminal, seminal 70s masterpiece, the Jack Daniel solution. Um <laughs> Next week. Starring a very oh, young Robert Redford. The 250. But before we get to that, <laughs> in case you think we've left you off the hook, we have lots of other things that we want to talk about. What about the inappropriate smoking in this movie? Um, you know, what about lighting a match off someone's ass? Is that appropriate <laughs> in the workplace? Well, he- here, do you want to, one of the funniest things that I read in research, and again, you can tell it's funny because I was like, even I think this is a stretch. And, you know, when, when when even I look at a bit of critical theory and go, I think you're kind of pushing it a little bit. It means it's great. Well, that um, is funny there. Peter Aykroyd, um, who wrote a biography of Chaplin, argued that you can derive from the fact that so many of Chaplin's comedies focus on physical activity directed towards the posterior of the party in question, the basis of all Western comedy is inherently homoerotic. Because people get kicked on the butt a lot in Chaplin movies. This is Peter Ackroyd's theory. I'm sure Peter Ackroyd's parents are very proud of him. (laughs) (laughs) Ben, for him to go to school, (laughs) learn all those words. Oh. But yeah, I, I kind of, I, I do kind of admire it. It's, it's rare that I read a bit of critical theory, and I'm like, even I don't buy that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm now, I'm a, I'm ridiculous. But yeah. At least I'm not Peter Aykroyd levels. Like oh. the, 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 you've, you've, um, Peter Aykroyd, by the way, great film critic. Yeah, I'm only kidding. He actually, he actually does seem like a really nice um, guy to be fair. Uh, um, I'm, I'm clowning. But seriously, Peter, you're clowning harder. Um, oh, so, oh the, um, the, uh, the opening song, by the way, Swing Little Girl from 1960, the 1969 reissue. Um, Chaplin wrote it, um, obviously, and, and performed it. Um, originally, he wasn't meant to perform it. It was originally meant to be performed by uh, Ken Barry, the artist. But apparently, Chaplin had been singing the song around the house. Any relation to John Barry? I do not know. Um, I do not think so, but I don't know. Um, but apparently 
Chaplin himself, who was not a singer, uh, had been singing it around the house to his grandchildren and to his children. And they apparently loved the sound of it. And apparently he was convinced by, I think it was Eric James, uh, who was one of his recording art, one of his sort of producers, to record a version of the song for his family's enjoyment. And then James put it over the opening credits of the film. And that basically, uh, he said, isn't this much better? And Chaplin was like, oh, you, you tricked me. You yes, flatterer. Yes, yes, yes you, you did. Wish, you wish to seduce me, sir. Eric, you conned me in. Eric, you conned me into doing that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, you, 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 you cads, yes. you, you incorrigible, um, rogue, you. Um, all right, let's put my song in the movie. How much <laughs> do I get paid for it? Yeah. Oh, uh, worth noting as well. Um, the film was nominated for a number of Oscars at the first Oscar ceremony in 1929. Nominated for Best Director, Best Picture, Best Actor, and a couple of other awards as well. It was famously so successful that it was actually taken out of competition. And it was Chaplin... so successful, the actual Academy Awards, that they decided they would do it the following year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they basically, yes, yeah, so they, they took it out of competition and gave him a special Oscar. Um, Chaplin would not win a competitive Oscar until 1957 or 1958 uh, for Limelight, for composing the soundtrack to that. Sorry, for 1979 is when he won it. 1958 was when he made the movie. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. Because due to a loophole, Limelight had never been theatrically released sort of in the US as well. All right, then. I think loophole. There's also, <laughs> there's also some food waste. where uh, Numerous, numerous um, examples of food waste. You have a pie... Being 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 dropped thrown up and dropped uh, down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you have a banana being thrown underground and maybe it gets eaten later on by monkeys who have escaped, but you don't know that. They and, don't seem uh, like they're monkeys that are sated. They look like hungry monkeys. Exactly. I don't think those I monkeys mean, have had the banana. Hopefully that banana gets added to the compost and becomes a movie. Um you know, you 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 put a banana on the ground, um, you you get a monkey to urinate on it, you wait a few months, and then a movie sprouts out. Um, you also have an apple um, that uh, that gets wasted. Um, in this oh, the William Tell sequence. Yes, the well, one with the worm in it. No, I, no there, there's a there's an apple, I believe, that gets thrown. By Chaplin, I think from the tightrope, and oh, yeah. it hits a, hits a man in the face. It's a tomato. That's a tomato, isn't it? Is it a, a tomato? tomato. It's it it from the way it splatters, like yes. a, like a tomato. I thought it was maybe a high velocity apple <laughs> with enough momentum and a hard enough high, face. High velocity, high ripeness apple. Uh, a H B H R A. It is worth noting, actually, the William Tell sequence was, again, another idea that Chaplin recycled from one of the shorts. This was a short that he made with uh, Willie Laudner, the Scottish comedian, in 1918 in order to raise money for the troops coming home from the First World War. It was never actually released, but you can actually see that footage uh, in the Criterion Collection release, and it's very much recycled for this film. It's also worth noting that Chaplin uh, was very strenuous in terms of editing this uh, movie. Um, to keep that 72-minute runtime, he cut an entire subplot, which would have seen Rex and Myrna going down Sunset Boulevard together and spending time together and having a much more wholesome romance. Would make the, the movie make more sense. Yeah. Uh, well, the idea, it was a, it was an entire sequence because the idea was the tramp would follow them and the tramp would get into a fight with a pair of double, like, twin boxers 
and Rex would step up and defend him, and that would then characterize Rex as a nice guy. It would help reaffirm that Rex was not a cad or a rival. And it would, would show that it would do. It would give some context to why Myrna uh, suddenly Myrna head over heels. Like, yeah, exactly. Because like, why is she so in love with him? Because they've spent some time together. <laughs> Any time whatsoever. <laughs> Any time at all. Yeah. Um, but Chaplin, Chaplin felt that the sequence kind of took them away from the circus and kind of distracted from the heart of the film. Again, Chaplin was very kind of, you know, insistent when it came to things like the tightrope sequence and things like the lion sequence, that they be as tight as possible because they were disrupting what he perceived to be the narrative flow of the film. With that in mind, and with a nice, tight uh, podcast runtime ourselves, he says, looking at the clock, um, anything else you want to discuss? Anything that we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at you? Yeah, um... Charlie Chaplin's character makes an empty promise to quit, um, and, <laughs> and, and and then when when the conditions of that promise are met, um, does not quit because it's an empty promise. So, like, let's talk about podcasts that indicate they're about to finish, <laughs> <laughs> but do not, and, and then don't let, let's, for twenty let's, minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 <laughs> let's talk about okay <laughs> uh-huh. all right thank you very I think much that about wraps it up then all thank right so know. andrew would you like to recommend anything for listeners anything that you are enjoying at the moment i will recommend some things um we spoke about movies being a series of uh set pieces and showcases and i'd like to talk about uh, sam raimi's army of the dead um, which is a movie that um, is a series of awesome stuff that Sam Raimi just wants. Army of to the do. Dead or Army of Darkness? Army of Darkness. God sorry. damn it. Army sorry. of Darkness. No, I'm sorry. Uh, people. I, I was like, Army of the Dead is, is, is a George Romero of, movie. Yes, I'm sorry. The kind of people who listen to our podcast are going to be so scathing on, and so disappointed. Uh, on Twitter. And so disappointed. So yes, it is the Ar- 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 Army Army of Darkness, or is it the Evil Army Dead Three? Evil, Evil Dead, Dead Three. It's great. It's so it's so uh, fun. It's um it's insanely watchable. There's so yeah. much kind of in camera innovation. Um, it's like it's a just... live action Looney Tunes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 and and it's 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 just it's just really fun. Like you watch it and you're like, not only am I having a lot of fun make uh, watching this movie, but I, I I would love to have made this movie too, you know, or to to have been in it because this this just looks like the best crack. Um, something I'm watching at the moment is Succession. Um, it is amazing. It's so good. I'm on the second episode. Second episode, not as good as the first, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry for that, Andrew. Sorry for, for hyping you up. Um, but... <laughs> I think I'll continue to watch it because the second episode, even if it wasn't as good as the first episode, and the it's first episode good. was just like sensationally good, you know. Yeah, like, the baseball game is amazing. The uh, I'll give you a million dollars. Uh it's they're so disgusting yeah like we'll be talking about a lot of disgusting or sorry we either will be or have been speaking about a lot of disgusting people this summer (laughs) uh but if you like those kind of disgusting people in movies who want to also um spend more time with them 
Yeah, yeah. And if you if you if you kind of want to root for them in a way that maybe you feel you weren't able to in some of the <laughs> stories about disgusting uh, people, people that we've covered on this podcast we've covered already, then then uh, check out Succession because it's very humane. It comes across that it, that it, that that the movie is um, a story that's being told from a um, from a very hopeful place about uh, a seemingly hopeless kind of um, world. Um, so in uh, do watch that and do enjoy it. It's available on Now TV. It's on Sky Atlantic. I think you can watch it if you have a Sky subscription or if you have a yeah. Now TV pass. You can also or if you're in the States on HBO, HBO Go. Go. Yeah. Um, HBO. If you can get HBO Go, if, if you can get it. H- is it not HBO Go? HBO Max as well. HBO Max, HBO MAX, and who is HBO Max? Because if they have not used a character called HBO Max to promote their new um, uh, platform, then they are missing a trick. Another thing I'd recommend is Kiss Me Like a Stranger, as we had just mentioned. The Gene Uh, Wilder book. By Gene Wilder. It's great. It's great. And you don't come away from it hating him. Um, So, um, yeah. If you want to know more about Gene Wilder, there there is that uh, quite good video essay, um, Hats Off Entertainment, for educational purposes only, written, edited, and compiled by Joe Romoni. And it's on YouTube. Oh, nice. Um, yes, a couple of quick recommendations for myself. Um, last year, we had the wonderful Sarah Hearn on talking about uh, Try Chaplin's The Kid as part of the Dublin Film Festival's kind of, you know, perform- live performance of kind of Chaplin's work. Uh, this year, they had a couple of shorts that were recently restored as well with live accompaniment on piano. I would recommend The Adventurer, and I think you can find that online to watch as well in the pandemic. It's very worth seeking out. It's a nice, short, brisk, 24-minute Chaplin short. It's great fun. It's hilarious, and it's got some really, really, really great gags in there. Uh, in terms of other stuff, I mentioned at the start of the podcast, I have been walking, going outside, enjoying free time. And what I've been doing in that free time while I've been walking is listening to podcasts. It is a very strange experience. I've uh, Andrew joked, I've made more podcasts than I've listened to. And that's probably true. Uh, but I've been listening to Karina Longworth's You Must Remember This, which is a podcast I think I've mentioned once or twice in the recommendation section before. I think I mentioned it on um, our, was it the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode, which is officially our second most popular episode ever. So I guess a lot of people have hopefully listened to that. What? Uh, yep, second, yep, it second, is. Second to call me by your name, or has that also been supplanted? That's also been supplanted as well. Um, things are very different. I'll talk to you off mic about that. Um, <laughs> things, is, things are changing around here. Is it something here, terrible, Andrew. or is it something heartening has, uh, has become the most popular is it it i i hope to god that it is not gran torino we never did a gran torino <laughs> episode do not go back and listen to that you will not find anything it does not exist there if never you was think a gran- you have heard it you have not um, uh, joker um is the third most popular and cats is the fourth most popular wow um, yeah. so yeah everything's getting worse and <laughs> um, we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs> uh, but yes, I have been listening to Karina Lo- Karina Longworth's um, You Must Remember This, where she's been talking through uh, Hollywood Babylon, the, the famous gossip Bible written by Kenneth Anger. Um, 
It's a story. It's a cautionary tale about what happens when you look back in anger. Chaplin gets mentioned quite a few times, uh, as you might expect from a study of Hollywood, Hollywood CD history in the 1920s. Um, so it's very, very worth listening to if you like kind of Hollywood history and things like that. We're we'll back next week when we're kicking off our summer of Scorsese with the wonderful Jason Coyle, Renucky Gregor, and Alex Tower joining us for a discussion of Martin Scorsese's breakout hit, Taxi Driver. And and we and we have some some really interesting format changes. For people who are listening to the end of the podcast and don't like it. Next week we're going to be speaking in chipmunk voices. I, I, <laughs> I love that you don't know what that actually sounds like because you're just pressing buttons on your little remote. You don't have I no have idea what no I... clue. I have no clue. Like I expect we will either get comments saying um well we'll probably not get any comments. Because the, oh. it, um, it's like the silence of God. Listeners, can you hear us? Have we been getting buzzed, Darren? Yeah. We actually we did get a really nice tweet um, about a week and a half ago from somebody who described us as their favorite podcast. That's lovely. It is. I, they said, I, they said I, that I they only like to listen. that on to me because I'm, no, that... I'm, I'm, I'm the God that doesn't listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't yeah. actually because I thought that was kind of arrogant and vain. But they're like, yeah, I, I really like podcasts with good chemistry between the hosts. So the 250 is my favorite at the moment, which is very I nice. think we have good chemistry. It's I'm not sure we have. It's such a difficult thing to, to fake. <laughs> and I'm so proud of us. For, for managing to, to fake it. That. <laughs> uh, perfect. All right. Take it easy, guys. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.